Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we'll be a little loose with phone calls today because there's a lot of Ukrainian stuff out there. I, I, there may be stuff I'm missing. Uh, just want to make sure that uh, we're, we're, we're covering a, a spectra of, of plethora of information, but we do have to begin with Ukraine and the situation with the nuclear reactor. Uh, I, I, I got to be upfront and honest with you. The Russians are the bad guys in this situation. The Russians have invaded unprovoked Ukraine. They try to manufacture grievances, and I would be very skeptical of some of the people who are pushing the Russian grievances. There is a segment of people who would consider themselves on the right, and I don't, uh, and they're just pro-Putin, uh, uh, peddling talking points and trying to claim the Ukrainians are the bad guys here. They're not. Ukraine is a separate, sovereign, independent nation. They agreed to give up their nuclear weapons in the 1990s in exchange for Russian recognition and protection of their sovereignty. The Russians have broken their word. They've invaded to take over. Vladimir Putin doubling down, telling the French president he intends to essentially eradicate uh, and denazify Ukraine, which means, uh, so you need to understand part of this is in Russia, calling people a Nazi is about the worst thing you can do given their history. And look, I don't even want to make jokes here. I started to say, yeah, like in this country, we call people Democrat. It, it, it's no, uh, th- this is a very serious point here. When the Russians say, uh, call people Nazis, they, they mean they're like the worst people on the planet. And Vladimir Putin has been telling the Russians that Ukraine is run by and controlled by Nazis and they will engage in denazification. And that means extermination of the ruling class in Ukraine. There is a religious aspect to this as well that goes underreported in the American media. Uh, And this, I got to go in in the really far way back machine here. We're talking roughly 1,500 years. So 2,000 years ago, Christ was crucified and resurrected. The church began to spread through the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire became very, very big. And it became so unwieldy uh, that one of the emperors decided he had to divide it up. And so he would be the Emperor Augustus. Uh, Diocletian was his name. And he would appoint um, Caesars two in each half of the empire. So he would be the Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus. And then you would have four Caesars. 
So two in the west, two in the east. This worked for a while, and Diocletian surprisingly, amazingly gave up control of the empire, like retired. He was the first emperor to retire. As an aside, uh, Diocletian gave us modern monarchy. Prior to Diocletian, the Roman emperor was considered first among equals, and he would sit in the Roman Senate, and he would argue, and yes, he was given a higher status, and everyone knew he was Caesar, but he acted like a chief man of the people. Diocletian changed it all up, and he gave us throne rooms and incense. A lot of the the uh, church behavior in the Catholic Church actually derives from uh, the ceremonies of Diocletian, the, the uh, bringing in the incense, purple velvet robes, the, making purple the status of empire. Diocletian did this. Well, Diocletian retires. You got these four Caesars. They go after each other, and, and the guy who ultimately winds up reigning supreme, this guy you've heard of, Constantine. Constantine Christianizes the Roman Empire. He had a vision of a cross, he says. Uh, he was able to take Rome, cross the bridge at Rome. They were able to win the battle, and he Christianized the Roman Empire. He was not, he did not make the official uh, religion of Rome Christianity. And actually, the pagan Roman gods were favored for decades in rural parts of the of the Roman Empire. In the cities, if you want to get access to Constantine's court, you had to become Christian. Whether you were or not, you just suddenly declared you love Jesus. And uh, very much like American politicians on the right do, they say, I love Jesus and babies, and people vote for him, even though they're a bunch of hedonistic pagans. But that's what you had to do to get to Constantine. And over time, the, the western half of the Roman Empire was largely forgotten as, as Constantine moved the imperial seat from Rome to Constantinople, Istanbul now, Istanbul is Constantinople, and the western half of the empire collapsed and divided into fractious states, and the Catholic Church became supreme there. Now, it was it was Emperor Theodosius who Christianized the Roman Empire and actually got rid of, this is years after Constantine, and he finally got rid of the altar to Jupiter that was in the Roman Senate, and you know what happened? Rome got sacked. And it actually reiterated to some people that Jupiter and the and the Roman gods were real and angry. But Christianity remained dominant. Not just Christianity, the Christianity of Nicaea. You had these um, Germans who rejected the Nicene Creed. And they spread through Western Empire. And in the Western Empire, the Catholic Church kind of became the civilizing force. Well, the eastern half of the empire remained for a very long time, the Byzantine Empire. And they set up shop, and you had the, the bishop in Constantinople, and there was a great divide in the church between the eastern and western half, and we got out of this great schism, uh, a battle over some language in the Nicene Creed, the Philoke Clause over how does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son or just from the Father. The Eastern half said just from the Father. The Western half said the Father and the Son. They split. To you, it sounds very meaningless. It mattered greatly to people at the time. The Nicene Creed started wars. It mattered greatly to them. But the Eastern half of the Roman Empire, now the Byzantine Empire, set up shop. And uh, they spread out. And they moved and as the Ottoman Empire advanced and the Muslims advanced and Byzantine fell, the archbishop set up shop in a place called Kiev. Might have heard of it, Kiev. 
And in Kiev, they brought you the center of Christendom in the east. And ultimately, uh, Kiev Rus was the was the title of the people, or the name of the people. You get the word Kiev from there. You get the word Russian from there. This is why Vladimir Putin thinks that Ukraine is supposed to be part of Russia. They moved north to a place called Moskovy, Moscow, and they set up a bishop there. But the bishop in Kiev, the bishop in Kiev, he was the powerful bishop of orthodoxy in the east, more so uh, than uh, the guy in, in Constantine, uh, Constantinople in Byzantium. He became, the Archbishop of Kiev, became the most important person in Christendom of the East. And then the Russian Empire got really, really big, very powerful, and the Bishop of Moscow got very big. The head of the Russian Orthodox Church became bigger than the head of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Fast forward to the 21st century, and there's a real divide. The Ukrainians have been trying to establish their sovereignty and identity with the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. But the Russian Orthodox Church has so much influence in Eastern Orthodoxy beyond the Greek Orthodox Church. And of those who speak Cyrillic, they're the most important. And the Russian Orthodox Church wants to maintain a level of control over Ukraine. That's why you saw the head of the Russian Orthodox Church and the Bishop of Moscow uh, declare the invasion a holy war. It gives license to go in and exterminate the Ukrainians. So on the, the secular side of things, you have the denazification. And on the sectarian side of things, you've got, we got to purge the heretics of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, who no one disputes their orthodoxy, they dispute their ties to Moscow. So you have a conflagration of a holy war and a secular war altogether. And we in the West have not paid attention enough to the holy war aspect of this that's galvanizing some of the Russian Orthodox to support this and stamp out the Ukrainian usurpers who have taken back churches, uh, the very churches where Eastern Orthodoxy were established after the fall of the Byzantine Empire. The early church martyrs are there. In fact, some of the apostles are buried in some of the churches. So that aspect of it matters greatly. You need to understand that. And now you need to understand that what goes into this is a propaganda campaign. The Russians are the bad guys here. But the Ukrainians aren't pure. We like to say they're pure because everyone likes the binary. The Ukrainians are taking advantage of our sympathies and they're also running a propaganda campaign that's way more successful than the Russian propaganda campaign. And you do need to understand that a lot of us are being influenced by propaganda. And that's why I'm not running and giving you the play-by-play of all the videos that come up on Twitter because I'm waiting for them to be debunked or confirmed. There are some that have been confirmed, including bombing of buildings and apartment buildings, and the Russians do appear to be targeting civilians. But then there's the nuclear reactor. Russian forces in Ukraine have seized Europe's biggest nuclear power plant. So this in the city, uh, the Ukrainian uh, says that an advance had been halted by the southern city of uh, Mykolaiv. The Russians entered it. They captured the city of 500,000 people. They've surrounded Kiev. And the 
Zaporozhia nuclear power plant has been taken. The Ukrainians began pushing out propaganda that the Russians were trying to blow up the nuclear reactor. And it actually um, circulated the media, but it does not actually appear to be true. Videos verified by Reuters and other news outlets showed a building aflame and there were in, uh, shells and the Ukrainians were horrified. The Russians did lay siege to and attack the nuclear power plant, but they appear to have been blowing up surrounding buildings, not the nuclear reactor itself. And a lot of people freaked out. Lindsey Graham said we need to assassinate Vladimir Putin, among other things. It doesn't actually appear that the reactor was in danger. Doesn't appear that way. The U.S. Embassy in Ukraine called it a war crime. John Kirby at the Pentagon says it showed how reckless the Russian invasion has been. It had been, because what if their shell misses and does hit the reactor? It was bad. What the Russians are trying to do now is control civilian access to energy production. They're trying to control the lights in Ukraine. Winter is still there. It is cold and wet and rainy. Ukraine floods in the springtime. There's one reason it was so very weird for the Russians to mount this now. Uh, Ukraine going back to World War One in notoriously muddy fields in the springtime and the Russian equipment is getting bogged down in the mud and, and they're losing equipment in the mud unless they stay on the paved roads. But they're trying very hard to control the means of energy production in Ukraine so that they can turn off the lights and freeze out the Ukrainians. It, it is definitely part of their strategy. Now, it's a strategy that uh, you're not supposed to do in war. You're not supposed to control the means of power for civilian populations. But uh, they don't care. The, here's what we're seeing, and this is the most important point that you got to understand here. The world, in civilized fashion, sat down, and they came up with uh, the Geneva Convention on war crimes and, and how you behave in war. They've come up with various treaties, and the West has really believed fundamentally in their soul that when you put this stuff in writing— and world powers agree to put these things in writing, that they will be bound by what they put in writing. It's a very civilized idea. And when you get into war, war never goes the way the written documents claim it should go. War is hell. If anything, hell is worse than war, or war is worse than hell. I heard someone point this out. War is worse than hell because all the people who go to hell deserve to be there. A lot of the people who are stuck in war are innocent and don't want to be there. It doesn't go according to plan. It's not going to go according to the treaties. The Russians should not control the means of civilian energy production. They don't care about you and your piece of paper. They care about conquering Ukraine, and they're going to do everything they can to do it, which makes them the bad guy. But the plant was undamaged in all of the reports on social media that there was a massive radiation spike in that part of Ukraine were all false, either people lying or disinformation. The Ukrainians trying to encourage Americans to get into the war. The Ukrainians trying to get Europe to engage at a higher level, and they should. Did you know the Biden administration has only imposed sanctions on 12 Russian companies? For perspective, the European Union has imposed sanctions on over 400. What is the Biden administration waiting for? One of the reactors at the plant is working. 
generates around 60% capacity. The other reactors, there are five other reactors, six total, weren't working anyway. They were offline. The Russians shouldn't be doing this. But let's also remember in the fog of war, we get told a lot of things that freak us out. And in fact, a lot of what we've heard isn't true. The Russians never bombed the reactors. Thank God for that. But they still invaded and took over the power plant, and they shouldn't have done that. This other program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. Reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. If your business needs a large deal done, $750,000 or more, buying a building, building a building, something like that, reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. Um, spend a few minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you and you for them. I, 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 we need to have a, a brief discussion here, and I, I don't say this lightly. I am, I am in Atlanta, Georgia. The headquarters for Coca-Cola is in Georgia, in Atlanta. Their building is here. They are a, a Georgia-based company. Coca-Cola lectured Georgia Republicans. When Georgia Republicans decided to pass their election reform law, which, by the way, has made it easier to vote in Georgia, contrary to what the media and the left told you, Coca-Cola lectured the Georgia Republicans. They shouldn't have done that. It's bad. They condemned it. Coca-Cola makes a lot of money out of Russia. They've said nothing. They're not stopping production. In fact, they've talked about how they're, they stockpiled supplies just in case so they can keep producing Coca-Cola for the people of Russia. Why? You want to lecture the state of Georgia on election reform? You want to get involved in, in uh, civil issues in Georgia? You can't take on a tyrant like Putin? You're not willing to forego it? Apple shut down Apple stores, won't sell Apple products there? Microsoft has said they're shutting down operations in Russia. Other companies are doing the same thing. Spotify has shut down all access from Russia, shut down their, their headquarters in Russia. You can't get on Spotify now is their choice. But Coke wants to sell Coke to the Russians. You know, there was a time, I, I think it was, where is it, uh, Burma? This is like the only country on the planet where Pepsi outsells Coke, and it had a lot to do with uh, Coca-Cola refused to do business in Burma while it was under a, a, an extremely uh, aggressive and evil dictatorship, and Pepsi had no qualms with it and sold there, but Coke took, took a principled stand and didn't. And now you've got Vladimir Putin, who has engaged his peaceful neighbor, is set about the extermination of the political class there, is bombing civilians, and Coca-Cola won't say anything. Maybe had Putin passed an election law reform effort, uh, the executives at Coca-Cola would have stepped up and spoken, but nope, not now. They've remained suspiciously silent as they continue through their European subsidy or your European subsidiary raking in money from Russia. Why? Even Disney. They won't get out of China, but they've shut down streaming in Russia. Why won't Coke stop selling Coke in Russia right now and take a principled stand like they always want the Republicans doing to do in Georgia?
You're more than welcome to call in today. Happy to have you. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program. I need to talk about the Iran deal, but before I get there, by the way, the Chinese and Russians have helped us negotiate a deal with Iran. Yeah, we're we're going to we're going to spend some time there. Guess what? The State of the Union address was Tuesday. Do you even remember what he said? You might remember what Joe Biden said at the State of the Union address. It was Tuesday. We're not that many days removed from the State of the Union address, and nobody is talking about the State of the Union. Why? Because it was a bad speech. It was a bad speech. It wasn't memorable. It didn't do anything. Josh Crashauer at uh, National Journal has a piece out. Biden's presidency is stuck in neutral. President Biden's State of the Union address was intended as a political course correction more than a substantive change in his administration's policy direction. The president moderated his tone but recommitted to a stalled agenda. It will be a speech remembered for the bipartisan show of unity about Russia's against Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but on the domestic front, it made little progress in finding common ground with Republicans. The president itemized all of the spending items in his multilateral or multi-trillion dollar Build Back Better social spending package without calling it by its legislative moniker. His plan to tackle inflation was to spend more money and tackle waste, fraud, and abuse. Similar things to what we've heard from the White House. He called for Americans to buy American-made goods, a worthy goal, but one that would raise prices of goods by depending on more expensive labor costs at home. He's stuck. The speech wasn't memorable. All told, Biden made a valiant pitch to sell the benefits from last year's emergency COVID aid and a bipartisan infrastructure package, notable accomplishments, but hardly the type of consequential changes that would move the country in a more progressive direction. With Russia, with Republicans favored to win back at least partial control of Congress in this year's midterms, Biden will need a lot more than a good spin job to turn his presidency around. It's true. The polling that's come out since the State of the Union address there's been no meaningful impact. Now, it can still shift uh, as polls sometimes are behind, but it doesn't look good. There doesn't seem to be a major shift in polling. Reuters Ipsos has him down 11 points. He's at 40.7% approved. My gosh, y'all. 40% approval. I mean, he's like, I mean, Donald Trump is looking at him thinking, man, I'm more popular than Biden. It's true. Biden has on multiple occasions now gotten more unpopular than Donald Trump was in the middle of the midterms of 2018. And we know what happened to the Republicans then. But I got to tell you, there's something more here going on. Y'all. It's true. It's real. Hispanic voters are realigning to the GOP. I want to read you a tweet from Joe Biden's pollster. 
Yep, this is Joe Biden's pollster. Texas election day. He's got the little red warning sign. Ooh, the alert. Ooh, this is big. It's Joe Biden's pollster. He's got something big, y'all. If reporters actually cared about data and not just sensationalizing headlines for clicks, breaking news, GOP sees major drop in Latino support. 2020 to 2022 in the Rio Grande Valley, Southern Texas. Y'all, I hope Democrats believe this because he's lying. Well, he's not lying, but he is. He's trying to make you think what? That uh, in, in, in his words, GOP sees major drop in Latino support from 2020 to 2022. Except when you actually look at what he the numbers, there was a 12-point collapse in Hidalgo County, an 8-point collapse in Cameron County, a 22-point collapse in Starr County, and a 48-point collapse in Zapata County. Y'all, here's the problem. I got to be real careful here because I don't want Democrats to understand. I want Democrats to believe Hispanic support is collapsing, but there's a problem. He's looking at the November general election between Donald Trump and Joe Biden and the Republican primary in 2022 in Texas, not even looking at the general election, which he can't because we haven't had it yet. There's the fact that a, a Democratic pollster, Joe Biden's pollster, would take the general election numbers and the primary election numbers and say, look at the massive drop in Hispanic support. We're talking midterm primary. We're not even talking midterm general election, midterm primaries. Actually, actually, we have the data by comparing the Republican midterm primary of 2018 and the Republican midterm primary 2022. These are Apple and Apple comparison. So a, a general election, you know, a, a general elections tend to have, uh, if presidential years have bigger turnout, primaries always have low turnout, but, 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 but pay, follow along with me. You're, you're a midterm year, 2018. How many Hispanic voters decided, you know what, I'm going to go vote in the Republican primary, not the Democratic primary. That's a pretty big freaking deal. When you have Hispanic voters who are not Republican voters bother to show up and vote in a Republican primary. I mean, let me give you the, the example here. Star County. Star County, Texas. Now, let, let me let me put this on the map for you, uh, just so you, you know where we're talking about. Star County, Texas, is down on the southern border. It is a rural county. It is right there um, across the Rio Grande River. Uh, you don't even have really major. Uh, San Isidro is there. San Isidro, Texas. La Carla, Rio Grande City. Re, uh, it, it is... It's out on the outskirts of McAllen, Texas, but it's a rural area. And in 2018, what was the what was the Hispanic turnout in the Republican primary? 15 people. Woo -hoo -hoo -hoo! 15 
Hispanic voters voted in the Republican primary. You know, those were brave souls. They probably got lost. They thought they were going somewhere else. And they showed up and voted in the Republican primary, 15 of them in 2018. You know how many of them showed up in 2022 for the Republican primary? 1,089. From 15 to 1,089 in four years, that's a 7,160% increase. As for the Democrats, just for perspective, 6,729 showed up in 2018. Hispanic voters in Star, Texas, 6,729 Hispanic voters showed up for the Democrats. They made up 99% of the entire primary vote in Star County, Texas. In 2022, 3,410. That was a 49% collapse. Now let's do the others. These are the major Hispanic border counties in Texas. Hidalgo County saw a 113% increase from 2018 to 2022 of Hispanic voters. Willisee County, 179.8% increase. Cameron County, 162.4% increase. Total combined was 141% increase for Republicans, only 2% increase for Democrats. But for Democrats, it was a decline in everywhere except Cameron County due to a very contested congressional race there. That's not good for the Democrats. And you've got the Biden pollster others. Oh, the, the November 2020 presidential election turnoff to the Republican primary turnout in 2020. That's terrible. Just collapsed. But Latino voters didn't show up. No, actually, they showed up in really, really big numbers. My gosh, did they show up in big numbers. GOP turnout was up 162% in Hidalgo or in Cameron County, 113 in Hidalgo County, both in the lower Rio Grande Valley. Republican turnout was up 50% in Nueces County, which is Corpus Christi, and up 51% in El Paso, Texas. A 51% increase of Hispanic voters voting Republican. That's the entire Texas border with Mexico. A massive shift to the GOP. Now, why? Why is this shift happening? That's the more important part here because it's happening. It's real despite the propaganda from the Biden pollster. This is real deal stuff happening. Massive shift to the GOP. Do you know who, where many of the men along those border counties work? The Border Patrol. Yes. Yes, a lot of the men work for the Border Patrol in those counties. The men who've been accused of beating Mexicans with whips from horseback. The men who've been accused of putting children in cages. The men who've been accused of human rights abuses. Yes, they're on the border working for the federal government as Border Patrol agents, and the Democrats are making them the bad guys. They're furious. Not only that, not only that, social issues matter greatly. The Democrats are trying to pass abortion on demand. The Democrats are putting boys in girls' sports. The Democrats are passing all sorts of social agenda stuff that Hispanic voters really don't like. 
whether they're Catholic or Protestant, Hispanic voters really do not like social justice warrior nonsense. But there's something else as well. I mean, it's a plethora of issues, and this is why it's going to be horrific for the Democrats. There's also the jobs stuff. It's the Democrats who have been uh, most restrictive and most draconian when it comes to masks and COVID policy. These Hispanic people go to jobs. A lot of them go to jobs in in the service and hospitality industry. They're forced to wear masks while the white Democrats aren't having to do it. And they're furious with the double standard. And the Republicans are the ones who are the great equalizers. Joe Biden's agenda is stuck on neutral. He can't change, he can't shift, he can't get it passed, he can't make inroads with these groups of voters who are fleeing to the Republican Party because Joe Biden won't secure the border. His base is blasting their husbands and brothers and sons who are Border Patrol agents. He's trying to put boys and the girls' sports in their schools. He's forcing them into masks and shutting down their jobs and businesses. This is an entire cultural shift to the GOP in Texas, and it's not just Texas. Throughout the Southwest, Hispanics are flipping to the GOP. Democrats always said demography was destiny. Turns out they thought that worked for them, and it's not. Like the joke I heard the other day circulating on the Internet, Vladimir Putin went to an astrologer to ask what would happen, how long would he live. And the woman said, Mr. President, you will die on a Ukrainian holiday. Vladimir Putin says, oh, well, they, they don't really have any holidays in Ukraine, and they're all past now, so I'm good. She says, ah, whichever day you die, it'll be a Ukrainian holiday. Yes, good joke. Now translate that into the borders in Texas. These Democrats... They keep saying demography is destiny, demography is destiny. The astrologers told them demography is destiny. They just didn't tell them that meant it would be bad for the Democrats and good for the Republicans. The shift in Texas is profound. The data is profound. And it's the wokes who are doing it, the far-left progressives who don't want a secure border, who hate the police, who can't create jobs, who want socialism, and who use the word Latinx. Those Democrats are going to need a lot of Kleenex because the Hispanic voters, the Latino voters, they're rejecting everything about them. Now, you should reject bad air in your house. That's why you need the Eden Pure Thunderstorm because it'll clean the air in your house. It will not mask odors. It will destroy odors. Smoke smells, musty odors, they all go away. Use it in your rental car. If you go to the, go to it and you got smoky smells in your rental car, wipes them out. Hotel room musty odors, wipes them out. I travel with mine. They're a little bigger than your hand. You plug them into the wall. You can plug them in with a USB cord. Put it in your car. It works great. And it also cleans the air. It gets rid of the mildew, the mold, the bacteria, the pollen that's floating in the air. Really, really great product. And you can get three of them now for less than $200 by going to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. You put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. Uh, you can do it on the front page of the website or at checkout. You put in Eric 3, E-R-I-C-K 3. You get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms. You get them for less than $200. That's a $200 savings. You get free shipping, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code, Eric 3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, and I will start taking your phone calls in the next hour. I promise. I've just had a, a, a lot to get off my chest, and I still haven't even gotten to the Iran stuff. We'll get there. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Y'all, we got to talk about Van Taylor. 
I remember when he first ran for Congress, I met him, uh, supported him when he ran. He's a, a was a veteran. He was running in the state of Texas. He lost the first time. And then he came back in. His, his district is uh, just to the east of Dallas. And Van Taylor supported the January 6th commission. And Donald Trump came after him. And he almost won the primary without a runoff. Donald Trump coming after this guy was not the problem. Could have survived, which is actually very interesting uh, because Morgan Luttrell has won in Texas in the Houston area, and it kind of became a, a test scenario for how strong is Trump's sway in primaries. Morgan Luttrell uh, had the backing of Rick Perry and a number of Texas politicians, but the the MAGA right, the, the Donald Trump supporting right, was back in another candidate uh, pretty heavily. Uh, Christian Collins had the endorsement of Ted Cruz, he, who he worked for. Uh, Luttrell had uh, Dan Crenshaw, Nikki Haley's endorsement, and Rick Perry's endorsement. If his name sounds familiar, he's the brother of uh, Marcus Luttrell of Lone Survivor fame. And uh, Madison Cawthorn supported his opponent. The House Freedom Caucus and Marjorie Taylor Greene supported his opponent, and um, Luttrell still beat him. He was backed by uh, he. Now Trump never actually made an endorsement, but Luttrell beat so many of the people aligned with Trump. It was kind of viewed as a proxy fight. That gets me back to Taylor. Taylor Van Taylor probably could have won. He probably could have beaten him. He probably could have beaten his opponent. And he did. I mean, he got like 49.99%. He came so close to avoiding a runoff, but he did something. He had an affair, and it came out right before the election. Oh, it was not an affair with just anybody. Van Taylor had an affair with the first lady of ISIS. Yes, that ISIS, the Islamic State. He actually had an affair with a woman who married one of the top commanders of ISIS who had happened to be an American. She married him. She came back, renounced everything. He had an affair. He was sleeping with, like, the first lady of ISIS, cheated on his wife. I guess he was trying to get her to praise Jesus, and that's what he decided to do to get her there. I, ah, that's why he lost. I mean, that's a heck of a note, isn't it? Almost, now he's throwing in the towel. He, he's going to quit. He's, he's not going to run again. How do you cheat on your wife with the First Lady of ISIS? I don't know, but he found out. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.